Hey guys, it's Harris, and over the next few weeks, we're releasing a few special episodes of the Story Podcast. Story is going through a huge season of growth at the moment, and with all the momentum our movement is experiencing, we are harder at work than we have ever been on our upcoming flagship event, Story 2017. It's a two-day conference taking place on September 21st and 22nd, and it's once again in the also currently booming city of Nashville, Tennessee. Throughout the month of July on the podcast, you're going to be getting glimpses into the magic that takes place at this conference by hearing some of the live talks that took place at last year's gathering. Whether you've heard these talks before because you were in attendance or you're experiencing them for the first time, they are sure to serve as incredible short 20-minute bursts of inspiration for your life and your work. Learn more about being a part of Story 2017 by visiting story2017.com. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. Last year at Story, a creative and executive coach from Los Angeles named Jason Jaggard walked on stage and gave a talk that left everyone speechless. After his time on the main stage, we had to turn away attendees from his breakout session because the room was so packed. One executive from a Fortune 100 company turned down a private invite-only tour of a special Johnny Cash exhibit with Joanne Cash, his sister, inside the Country Music Hall of Fame because he said, I quote, I'm sorry, I just cannot miss Jason Jaggard's breakout. Well, due to popular demand, we're excited to have Jason back for a never-before-heard talk at Story 2017. He is an author, speaker, and founding partner of Novus Global, an elite coaching firm for CEOs, creatives, and high-performing teams. He's worked with organizations like NBC Universal, Chick-fil-A, Disney Animation Studios, United Way Worldwide, Starbucks, the list goes on and on. What has coaching leaders of that caliber taught Jason about the connections between creativity and leadership? Needless to say, quite a bit. And we can't wait for you to keep learning along with us. In the meantime, here's Jason's talk from the main stage at Story 2016. Hey, good afternoon. Oh, okay, all right, that's where we are. Are, they, are you allowed to bring coffee in here? No, I don't drink coffee. Uh, that's what anxiety's for, which is great, right? It's free, hip drip, like no problem. It's there, I wake up, boom, like a rabbit. I'm ready to go. Uh, so I'm happy to be with you uh, right now. This is gonna be fun. We got a few minutes together, so I'm gonna try to make it as fire hosey as possible so that you get as much value as possible. Sound good? Great, so I'm an executive coach, which means what I love to do is work with people who are more talented than me, discover that they have talent they didn't even realize. And with that comes a fierce conviction that I have never met a person who wasn't powerful, have you? Now, I've met lots of people who choose to use their power in a way to convince themselves in the world they're not powerful. 
And that's a challenge, really, that's the dark side of imagination. That's what I wanna talk about with you for just a little bit. Right? When we talk about imagination, usually we're talking about something positive, something beautiful, something noble, and it is. But also is up to something that sometimes we don't even realize. In fact, most of us talk about how we want to use our imaginations, but what we fail to realize is how often our imaginations are actually using us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pull back the curtain a little bit and talk about what are the ways that our imagination, even in moments we don't realize, in moments or ways that are invisible to us, what are ways that our imagination is using us? And if we could discover that, maybe we can reverse engineer it and create some new possibilities for our lives. Sound good? All right, so how many of you have ever been to a water park before? Yeah, and water parks, water parks are fun because they always have kind of funny names. Either they sound like a little aggrandizing or they sound like something you shouldn't be watching on Cinemax late at night. <laughs> right? I mean, throw out some names. What are some water parks you've been to? Wet and Wild. Wet and wild. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. It's like your 16-year-old daughter, hey, I'm going to Wet and Wild. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, come on back. Right, go, what's another one? Typhoon Lagoon. Typhoon Lagoon. Yeah, great. It's rhymes, it's fantastic. What's another one? Soak City, that one could go either way, really. <laughs> right? That's fantastic, yeah. So I grew up in Kansas City, any Kansas City fans? Okay, right, seven of you, great. Uh, and, and there is, is a water park called Oceans of Fun. Now it's in Kansas. Uh, which means you can know a lot about Oceans of Fun. One thing you know that it's not is Oceans of Fun. <laughs> I mean, on a good day, it's like puddles of fun. And because the average age of the person who goes there is seven, it's more like toilets of fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. But any water park has a ride called the Lazy River. How many people love the Lazy River? Yes, it's fantastic. Right now, how does the Lazy River work? Yeah, you sit in it. Right, and then there's a current that takes you a certain direction. Now, is it witchcraft? How does the current work? Do they have people like with sticks in the morning and all of a sudden Rafiki does his thing and is that how it works? No, how does it work? Yeah, yeah, underneath the surface of the water there are jets that take you in a certain direction whether you want to go that way or not, right? And now have you ever tried to swim against the current? Yeah, I mean it's kind of fun for a while, isn't it? I like to show off when you're seven. But after a while it gets exhausting. And how many of you right now, this, what I love about this space is it's not just a presentation of ideas, that these ideas actually exist in the context of your life. So how many of you right now feel like there's a current that sometimes you're swimming against in your life? How many of you have come here with leadership challenges, financial challenges, possibly spiritual challenges, organizational challenges, and it feels like, have you ever noticed every time you try to change something, like you read a leadership book or something, you hear a good idea and you try to put it into practice, and all of a sudden you realize it's a lot harder than you thought? And that's the force of trying to swim against the lazy river. Because the reality is beneath the surface of our lives are conversations that our imagination is having, whether we realize it or not, that's taking our lives in a certain direction, whether we realize it or not. And most people try to get you to swim harder. What I wanna talk about is how do we change the jets? So just for a few minutes, I wanna talk about, depending on how much time we have, I'm gonna go as fast as I can. We're gonna talk about a few jets that unknowingly move our lives in certain directions that usually veer towards mediocrity, apathy, and a life that is less than what we're capable of. You ready? Okay, great, so I want, first I wanna do an exercise because it's the afternoon, okay? So uh, what I wanna invite you to do, I wanna invite you to commit to do something that I'm about to ask you to do before I tell you what it is. <laughs> Sound good? Okay, now I've done this, uh, a disclosure, I've done this all over the world, I've done it with thousands and thousands of people, not a single person who has ever committed to doing it before I told them what it was has ever been dissatisfied, right? <laughs> which sounds like I'm Don Juan, but uh, we'll get to that in a second, right? <laughs> they have never been dissatisfied, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. 
uh, I'm gonna stay up here, so you don't have to worry, all right? So, so I'm gonna ask you to do something, and you're gonna commit to doing it before I tell you what it is, and the way that you're going to commit to doing it is you're simply going to stand up. So right now, if you're willing to do the thing that I'm inviting you to commit to do, before I tell you what it is, just stand up right now. You don't have to stand up, it's no problem. Good, stand up right now, excellent. Fantastic, I hear chairs thumping all over. Great, now if you make eye contact next to the people next to you. By the way, um, this is how you start a cult. <laughs> so, so, you're, so you're doing great. You didn't know that's what story was becoming. Congratulations. All right, so make eye contact with each other. So let's get a good social lather, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Excellent. Now, now if you see that young pretty girl, that handsome young man, now's the time to hello. Hello, great. Now have a seat. Little conference romance. She will not leave him dissatisfied. <laughs> All right. Okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes, which is a dangerous thing to do when you're not allowed to have coffee. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine in your mind a child in a supermarket going absolutely crazy. Can you imagine that in your, wild, in your, your wildest dreams? Imagine the tantrum. Imagine the movement, imagine the tears and the volume. I want you to imagine it viscerally in your mind what it looks like for a, a little kid to just, throw, just go crazy in a supermarket. Wonderful. Now, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, you are going to go crazy. <laughs> now remember, you committed. <laughs> <laughs> You committed. I see some eyes glaring at me. <laughs> it's no problem for me. I get to go on a, get on a plane, go home. Okay? One. <laughs> Two. Two and a half. <laughs> Two and three quarters. Okay, now slowly, very, very slowly, very, 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 very slowly, open your eyes, slowly open your eyes. I'm not gonna make you go crazy. <laughs> now what we call it is an unpunctuated cognitive response. We do this in our trainings. What it does is it lowers the water so you can start to see the jets that are there all the time, but we don't realize they're there until we bump up against them. It's what the, uh, the Italian neuroscience Antonio Damasio called somatic markers. Every human being has somatic markers in their brain, boundaries in their brain, that we don't realize are there until we bump up next to them. Now, these boundaries usually are good because they keep us from doing stupid things, like, say, jumping off a cliff or going to see a Michael Bay movie. Like, these are, positive, these are, like, these are things you want to stay away from, right? I mean, these are just things that we want to avoid, and, and that somatic markers keep us from doing that. The problem is they also keep us from having the life of our dreams, but we don't realize them until we bump against them, and so part of the work that we do is we create opportunities for you to bump up against them so that you can see what's going on. So here's the thing. What I want to know is what was going on between your ears while I was counting. No judgment, no moralizing. It's no problem, no, no bad, but talk to me real quick. What was going on between your ears when I was counting? <laughs> Say that again. I'm glad I didn't stand up. Good, yeah, somebody else. Say it again. Oh, great, so that's fantastic. That's a wonderful way to avoid the conversation. Yeah, getting technical. So what exactly does it mean to be crazy? It could be anything. Maybe I'm crazy right now and you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, good, 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 good. How many of you had this experience of anxiety? Anybody have an experience of anxiety? How many of you are thinking, I wonder if I'm going to be the only one? Right, and you had like a gradual, like you're gonna look to your right and your left, 
Are we doing this together? Like hold hands, <laughs> all right? Kind of thing. Or some of us sometimes have a strategy for crazy, like we're gonna gradually do it and see what's going on. Like, uh, you know, kind of a thing. Work ourselves into the lather, right? And, in, and here's the thing, at any given moment, we, most people, we wouldn't say that our lives are governed by fear, but according to somatic markers, our lives are always governed by fear. The thing is, we choose to live lives in the lane, and so we never experience the fear. Right? Another way of saying that is every human being, this is a first jet, everyone has a, a need and a longing to look good. Everyone say, look good. <laughs> look good. It's like when you're, you ever been walking down a road or something and you trip? What instantly do you do after that? Yeah, you look around, right? Now, is there a biological connection between you losing your center of gravity and turning your head from side to side? No. We look around, why? To see if anybody else saw us, right? Now, if someone else saw us, does that change what happened? No, but it doesn't stop us from caring about it, does it? Because everybody, I'm assuming, got dressed on purpose this morning because we all want to look good, right? And, and by the way, do you think this has leadership challenges and leadership implications even for our art? Absolutely. Any given time, at any given moment, there are, and here's the thing, this is the cool thing about somatic markers. At any given moment, there are rational, healthy, beautiful choices that are not even available to us. They're not even, they're not even on our radar because our fear has already told us, eh, don't go there. And part of the object of self-leadership in our art and our creativity and our organizational leadership is discovering those boundaries and then crashing through them. Another way of saying that is we have to be willing to look stupid. We have to be willing to look foolish. We have to be willing, in fact, we develop practices of looking foolish. It's a stand-up comic going up and testing new material, knowing it's going to fail. And that's the way we find the material that's comedic gold. So the first one, what was the first jet? <laughs> good, okay, great. Let's try that again. Look good, everyone say look good. Okay, the next one is like it, it's called feel good. Everyone say feel good. Okay, wonderful, okay. So feel good works like this. Um, a while ago, I was working with a leader at uh, NBC Universal, and we were having a conversation, we were doing some executive coaching with her, and I said, hey, um, what do you wanna get out of the coaching experience? And she says, I wanna crush it at my job, I wanna crush it in my marriage, and I wanna like look fantastic. I wanna feel so, you wanna feel sexy? She's like, <laughs> I was like, she's like, yes. I wanna feel sexy, I wanna have a great marriage, I wanna crush it at my job. I'm like, awesome. What's keeping you from doing that right now? And she goes, oh, Jason. Like just the idea of doing that makes me feel anxious, makes me feel tired, right? Makes me feel scared. You know what I'm talking about? Just the idea of doing that makes me feel that way. I said, well, how are you feeling right now? She said, anxious, tired, scared. Isn't that interesting? And in, in the words of Soren Kierkegaard is put this way, it's not that the journey is hard, it's that hardship is the journey. And most of our energy goes into stopping the pain. In reality, we should be trying to make the pain count, right? Because the reality is you're gonna suffer one way or another. You're either gonna suffer for the extraordinary life or you're gonna suffer for the average one. We might as well choose suffering for the extraordinary. In fact, that's what the word passion means. You know what the word passion literally comes from? The word to suffer. You know what you're passionate about when you know what you're willing to suffer for. And as people who live into the extraordinary, who want to tell good stories with their lives, you have to find the things that are worth suffering for. So the first one was what? Look good. Second one? Feel good. By the way, uh, feel good is also why we like binge watch. You know what I'm talking about? Right, when you have that, how many of you right now have some kind of amazing project that you're pretty excited about, but you just can't help but watch season four of House of Cards or whatever season we're on right now, right? Because you like taking like Brillo pad showers afterwards. You like that because <laughs> it's gross, right? Good, good, good. All right, so look good, feel good. We got, uh, can, we do, can I do one more? All right, so this last one we'll call Be Right. Everyone say Be Right. Be right. And really this is my favorite one. 
<laughs> because this is one I like to do the most. Right? Every human being has this, in fact, here's the thing, more than, more than heroin, more than cocaine, more than sex, the human brain wants to be right. We think in the adult brain, we think what the adult brain does is it gathers evidence and then makes conclusions. That is not what the human adult brain does. The adult brain makes conclusions and then goes looking for evidence. We want to be right. It's why confirmation bias is why our political discourse is so stimulating right now. Right? We want to be right. Now, here's how this works. Uh, how many of you ever like, have like, teenage children? Any of you? A few of you? Yeah. How many of you were ever teenagers once? Great, so you can imagine your wildest dreams. A teenager, we'll call him Seth, who uh, comes home late every night. Can you imagine that in your wildest dreams? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, right? And uh, so then you go to a boundary seminar and you say, okay, we're gonna work with Seth in a new way and we're gonna set up boundaries. And you say, you say to Seth, say, Seth, you have to come home by 11 o'clock p.m. or we're gonna take your driving privileges away. And Seth's like, fine, whatever, I don't care. And you're like, because <laughs> you went to the boundary seminar, repeat after me, what? I have to be home by 11, otherwise you'll leave me driving. Great. You give him the keys, he saunters off, right? And then you and your wife or whoever, you're sitting down and you're watching Wheel of Fortune or whatever it is parents watch when their kids are away, right? And it's 10.30. And then it's 10.45. Seth's not home yet. And it's 10.55. Seth's not home yet. And then at 10.59, Seth walks in, puts the keys on the bowl, saunters up. And can you imagine your wildest dreams looking at your spouse and then turning to Seth and saying, Cutting a little close, don't you think? Can you imagine that in your wildest dreams? <laughs> All right? And that moment, has Seth done anything wrong? No. Well, why are his parents treating him that way? Because they would rather be right about their judgment of him than be in relationship with him. And I'm telling you, that is never more true than our relationship with ourselves. The judgments we have about ourselves, our life trajectory, is the sum total of the judgments we have about ourselves. And our brains go to work. As soon as you make a judgment about yourself, I'm a procrastinator, I, I don't like to work hard, I would never, I would never wanna get married, whatever it is, your brain goes to work to make sure you are right about that. And it will rob you of a powerful life that you've been designed to live. I wanna tell one last story and then I'm done. Uh, this is, you know, so I work with an executive firm and it's, I love it, I love my team and we love what we do. And sometimes, you know, like we work with executives to take a $100 million company and turn it into a $200 million company and that's a lot of fun. Uh, and a lot of times what people ask us is like, well, is it just about money or is it just about, you know, how, how does it work for you? And I, I wanna talk a little bit about, so when I was, when I was growing up, uh, my, my father, I didn't have a good relationship with my parents growing up. They tried. It's not because they didn't try. You know, like a lot of people had like absentee parents or whatever. My parents were at everything. You know, my parents were at every basketball game. I, I scored points for the other team. <laughs> and they went to my, this is a true story. They, my, they went to every baseball game and I was in the sixth grade and they put me in right field because that's where I do the least amount of damage, <laughs> right? And I would just daydream, right? And so one time, this is a true story. One time uh, in the middle of a game, I'm in right field and I look to my right and uh, the center fielder is wearing a different uniform. <laughs> because I missed the rotation. <laughs> but my parents were always there, always there, always encouraging me. And it wasn't like they didn't try, I just boxed them out for a lot of different reasons. Boxed them out. And when I was in college, I didn't call home but like three times, my entire collegiate experience. And a couple years ago, I decided, and I don't know if you've ever been in this moment, whether it's with your leadership or your creativity or your art or your relationships or whatever it was, I decided I didn't like this anymore. You ever had that moment? I don't like this. 
And there was no new possibility available to me because whatever it has been, sometimes it's tempting to believe is whatever it will be. But I wanted to disrupt that system because right now looking good, feeling good, and being right is was getting our family what we were always getting. It's just keeping us right where we are. That's what those jets do. So I was like, okay, what can I do? So I came up with a bold plan. I was gonna start calling my parents once a month. It's not that bold. And it was awkward. And I call, because I, I had trained my parents not to call me. They would call and I wouldn't answer. So I trained them not to call me. So I call and they're like, Jason? And we didn't know what to talk about. And then my mom would say something sad and I'd judge my mom for being sad and then she'd get hurt that I judged her and then I'd feel shame because I judged her and then we'd be off to the races. Am I the only one? <laughs> right? So then we did this for a while and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna up the ante. I'm gonna start calling once a week. <laughs> once a week. And sometimes I got the phone as like putting a hand in a blender. It's like why, am I, like, why am I doing this? And the definition of insanity is doing the you know, same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Why am I doing this? But I wanted to disrupt the system and after a while, we kept doing this for a while, just a few months, and I actually started beginning to develop an embryonic kind of relationship with my parents. So then I, then I was starting to feel the big mo a little bit. I was kind of feeling good about it. I was like, okay, let's, you know, so, so here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever, like, how many of you, like, moved away from your family at some time in your life? Like, you move away to college, or you go to L.A., or to New York, or to Nashville, or Chicago, or whatever. And uh, you always feel like you've grown, don't you? You feel like you've grown so much. I moved away from Kansas 13 years ago. I'm in L.A. I've grown so much and then you go home for the holidays. <laughs> and there, and there's, there's a reason uh, why, your, why your family uh, can push your buttons. It's because they installed them. <laughs> right? And so, so I was determined to do something new. And so I called my parents and I said, mom and dad, they said, yeah. And I said, we're gonna have a good time over Thanksgiving. And they said, okay. And I said, mom, my mom is gorgeous. She was in the Miss Kansas pageant. I don't know how my dad landed that. Like alcohol was probably involved or something like that. So I said, I said, mom, you're gonna dress up. You're gonna look nice. I said, dad, you're gonna wear whatever it is you wear. <laughs> and, and we're gonna go out and we're gonna go to a nice restaurant. So in Kansas City down the plaza, there's a, a restaurant called Skies. It's a rotating restaurant in the city. I love restaurants around top high. And I said, we're gonna go to the restaurant. We're gonna walk into the restaurant and people are gonna turn their heads. You're gonna see mom and like, who is that woman? They're gonna look at my dad and they're gonna be like, how did that happen? And, and, and I'm gonna be behind you. And we're gonna do this together. It's gonna be fantastic. Afterwards, we're gonna do something fun. What do you wanna do? And they said, let's go see Monsters University in 3D. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> right? And I, I remember they were like, they said this on the phone. They said, you want to hang out with us? I said, let's do this. So we did it and we had a great time. And now I'm feeling really confident. So I said, hey, dad. He said, what? I said, for Christmas? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to take you clothes shopping. <laughs> and my dad, and my mom goes, your father doesn't want to go. My dad's like, shh. And he looks at me, he goes, can we go to the Gap? <laughs> huh. And because I had been watching a lot of crazy, stupid love at that time in my life, I said, Dad, be better than the Gap. <laughs> and so, so, so we, went to, we went to J. Crew, and we walk in. <laughs> so we go to J. Crew, we walk in, and, and I thought my dad was going to feel self-conscious and secure. I mean, he dresses like a math teacher from the 80s because he was a math teacher in the 80s, right? And, and we walk in, and my dad gets 
into it. It's awesome. We're, we're, we're like putting stuff on. He's walking out like it's a catwalk. We're taking pictures. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking pictures. My mom wasn't feeling well. We're texting her the picture. She's like, I don't like it. I'm like, we're buying it. It's like the most amazing. It's so much fun. In fact, the whole store gets into it. Like, like what's going on over here? It's like, my dad's going clothes shopping for the first time. It's amazing. And like, people who work at the store are pulling off jeans in synchrony. It was like an episode of Glee. It was, it was amazing. And, you know, uh, because I was just starting my company at the time, we had about $5,000 of the clothes, and I bought him some socks. And, uh, and we had a great time. And we get in the car, and we're driving home, and it's Christmas time, and Bing Crosby's singing Christmas carols. And my dad says, uh, hey, Jason, can I tell you something? I said, sure. And he said, uh, thanks for being my friend. And he explained to me that he didn't have a good relationship with his dad. His dad was gone. His dad didn't go to baseball games. And my dad said, Jason, I feel like if we were at a party, you would want to talk to me whether I was your dad or not. And I got to be honest with you, that might not be a big deal for you. But for me, it was beyond my wildest imagination. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, there are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. And if you would have the courage to look foolish, if you would have the courage to suffer, if you'd have the courage to let go of the judgments we think about ourselves and other people, I wonder what could happen. Maybe you are more powerful than you think. Maybe you are more talented than you realize. Maybe there's something for you, a story to be told. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this short look back at last year's event and were inspired by Jason's talk. I definitely shed a few tears at the end each time I hear it or watch it. If you'd like to watch the video of Jason's talk, you can do so for free on our website at storygatherings.com. And be sure not to miss whatever Jason has up his sleeve for this September by registering for Story 2017 while you're on the site. I can't wait to see you there. We still have a few more talks from last year that we can't wait to share with you in this short series of special flashback episodes. Next week is going to be another great one. And as we gear up for launching back into our normal programming next month, I'd love to hear your feedback about what you'd like to experience more of on this show. Email me your thoughts at harris at astoria.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-S at I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. Or tweet them to us. I am at Harris the Third, which is just Harris I-I-I, like the Roman numeral three. Or you can tweet all of us at Story by tweeting at Story Gathering. We do what we do at Story to serve you guys, the creative community of storytellers. And that includes this podcast. It's all created with you in mind to keep you inspired to do your most creative work. So please let us know how we can best serve you. I cannot wait to hear. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening to the Story Podcast. This episode was produced by Harris III. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and music was written by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.